Here's your nog, my dear. Yes. Shall we toast it? To the season. Mm-hmm. Wow. Hey, this is Prefer Not To, weekly sometime cocktail hour. Always cocktail hour. With your hosts, Josh and Kate. I'm not Kate. I'm not Josh. Every week, Kate and I get together. We make a cocktail that sometimes we've never had. Usually we've never had. Have the cocktail. Enjoy the cocktail, usually, unless it has vermouth. Then go on to watch a, a movie, talk about a movie, whatever other bits of popular culture float in through the transom. How you doing this week, Kate? I'm good. As always, I enjoy spending time with you. Oh. Uh, also, standard disclaimer, we will probably murder your favorite cocktail because neither Kate nor I is a cocktail expert. Nope. Although your expertise was sought at work this week about a cocktail. That's very true, very true. Did anybody, I mean, a, a coworker of mine wanted to know the difference between Old Fashioned and a Manhattan, and I just spat that right out. So what are we enjoying this week? Uh, in light of the season, Josh, mm-hmm. it is Yuletide, so we are going to be having some very festive eggnog cocktails. We are indeed. Which, by eggnog cocktail, I mean just eggnog. All right. Tell us all about it. About eggnog? Sure. Eggnog is a beverage, traditional holiday beverage, that comes from England, or has roots there at least in East Anglia, which is east of London in the 17th century. There, nog referred to a style of strong beer that was popular at the time, and a noggin is the cup that the nog would go in. An alternative story says that perhaps the drink, uh, which was event, which was originally called egg and grog, then was shortened to eggnog, because you know how we've talked about comedy slang on this right. show before. So you said that the noggin was the name for the cup? It was the cup, yeah. Now, is that any kin to the use of noggin as slang for your head? I don't know. I don't think so. It, I, I bet it is. Originally, the drink was milk and eggs and spices that then someone decided to add some grog to, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. rum. That's where the egg and grog comes from, mm-hmm. so... It was like the guy who first put Jack Daniels in Coca-Cola. Right. The tradition, for those of you who are out there asking yourselves why English people would be combining eggs with milk and spices. First of all, anyone asking that question has never had any sort of English food whatsoever. Well, for that one person out there who has... This is a nation they eat bone marrow. What? They eat bone marrow. That's like one of the, that's like an English dish. In what? In the bone. Like they suck it out of the bone? They take, yeah. They, uh, they'll slice the bones. It'll be like, like cow femurs or whatever. Yeah. And they, uh, roast the the marrow inside the bone. What does it taste like? I don't know. It's supposedly quite good. I mean, dogs love it. What do you do with it? Do you like sprinkle it on top of other meat? Like, is it? No, no. It's like it's it's like like a little. I think it's also. I think it's a little like a crudite, but um, more. I mean, it's like you know, it's not a lot in one serving, but it's it's a little pudding in a inside of a bone. That sounds terrifying. Mm, It's like reminiscent of like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom when they have like the Mm -hmm. monkey brains. Yeah. Out of the monkey skull. Yeah, yeah. That was, uh, yeah, you know. All right. Anyway, going on. Um, For those of you out there, like I was starting to say, who think, who are wondering why the English would be doing this, uh, it likely descends from the historical, likely descends from the historical posset, which is a medieval drink that is warm, spiced dairy, supposedly mm-hmm. medicinal, that was often served to sur- soothe the nerves or mm-hmm. in festive occasions during the cold winter months. Right. So it was quickly associated with Christmas and Yuletide and all that jazz. Yeah, I'm getting the sense that, uh, again, the line between hot alcoholic beverage designed to knock you out and home winter. remedy yeah. and home remedy was somewhat blurrier in, uh, say, the 18th century. Well, it's century. very similar about the hot toddy, too. Is right. It was, yeah, exactly. Or Irish coffee or any of the other sort of hot things. It's hot, so it's medicine. I don't get and that either. And it has booze. Right. I don't know. Um, has anybody ever put booze in chicken soup? What kind of booze would you put in chicken soup? Well, the soup? problem would be that if you cooked it, the alcohol would go away but well, let's say you you cooked the chicken soup mm-hmm. it was in your bowl and then you added beer beer really 
Yeah. All right. Add warm beer. I bet you could make a nice warm soup out of beer and chicken uh, chicken broth. Something more like a, ugh, I don't know how I feel about that. But if you made the soup, then the alcohol would be away. And I've made risotto with beer before. Yeah, but it didn't get you drunk. No, but it's delicious. Well, yeah, but the whole point is that if you want something warm, it, it's going to have to. Anyhow, back to your noggin. All right. So eggnog was imported to America through the British, mm-hmm. as most things were, it mm-hmm. seems. Um, it appears in text as early as 1797. Mm-hmm. And the colonial era became especially popular because most people, even commoners, had access to eggs, milk, and rum. Mm-hmm. It was originally made with brandy or Madeira. Mm-hmm. The switch to rum was made because obviously rum is cheaper to import to the U.S. than paying for the hoity-toity brandy from across the sea. Well, right, and that was that was the same thing. Like why, why port became popular instead of uh, Madeira and then rum because you know the, the triangle trade. And... Yeah, so rum is the traditional liquor of choice for mm-hmm. eggnog, but today bourbon is also popular, particularly in mm-hmm. the South. Right, and we're in the South, so we're having bourbon with ours. Hot dog, our national spirit. Yes, the best kind of eggnog is the kind that is. For months, apparently you can make your own eggnog and set it aside in the cellar for months and let it like spice up and stuff. But we're not doing that. We're, we got our store brand ready to go. You could not dare me to eat that. I would. That's why I didn't do it. Well, first of all, yeah. we needed it now, not in six months from now. And also, that just makes me think of Anthony Bourdain and the Hollandaise <laughs> sauce. That just makes me think of Anthony Bourdain and the Hollandaise sauce warning. Yeah, I mean, do you trust me around raw eggs, Josh? Because I don't. I don't trust you around humans. Yeah. This is an interesting point. Um, apparently, eggnog was so popular that it actually sparked a riot at West mm-hmm. Point Academy mm-hmm. in 1826. Whiskey was smuggled in to make eggnog on Christmas Eve, which by the time Christmas morning rolled around, there was a huge riot going on with, I guess, a bunch of drunken cadets. It started a riot with over a third of the cadets being involved on Chris- before it was over on Christmas morning. 20 cadets were later court-martialed, and among the ones that were tried, although he was not expelled, was for- was future Confederate States of America President Jefferson Davis. Well, good for him. I know. Isn't that such a Southern, like... Well, bourbon, although Kentucky, yeah. was, a, Kentucky was a border state. Well, I'm just saying, it's like such... Oh, of course. When, although, I don't know. Although I don't associate warm beverages with uh, the bourbon. South. Yeah, I guess so. Although eggnog is, you know, you drink it cooled now. Yeah. When did that change come over? Did you mention that? When did the change from hot to cool come over? Oh, you mean like the warm pasta? Yeah. I don't know. No, I didn't mention that, and I don't know if there really is one. I think maybe it was just a, a preference. Mm. Maybe it's like you drink it, and then the whiskey is the hot part because it warms your... Well, right. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of people who, you know, drink cold whiskey and still get nice and flush because... I don't... I flush. mean, I don't know. I guess you would also be like next to a, a roaring fire eating a turkey leg in front of... Right. In your... Your hall. And... Well, now you're just talking about Robert Baratheon. <laughs> on a, or Brian on a, Blessed of on some a, kind. On a cold night. <laughs> I don't know. You love your big, bearded medieval guys eating. Uh, it's because, again, it's your Henry well, VIII Well, no, but thing. if you were. No, first of all, I don't have a thing for Henry VIII. Yes, you do. And secondly, if you're going to imagine a stereotypical medieval manor lord, what else is he going to look like? I guess. He can, you know, look, he can look like a fancy pants. That's what I always picture is a big fancy pants. Robert Baratheon's a fancy pants? No, I picture has, when you say a man of lord, I say like a big fancy pants. Like he's wearing silks and he has one of those, those uh, Medici hats with the little, the black tricorner, but it's going the other way. Yeah. And his his lips are pursed and he has a very thin face and a narrow nose. It's and he's just he's ordered inbred. someone to be, he's just ordered someone to be killed. He's right, or, the right, or the Habsburg nose. chin. Oh, right. chin, sorry, the Habsburg right. chin, yeah. No. 
the head. Yeah, it's the Habsburg gen. Like, uh, who was it? Charles V was the one who was just so completely horribly mutated. He only lived to be like 35. I don't think, no, it wasn't Charles V. It was uh, it was one of the Charleses. I think yeah. Charles V was, God, my history. Is I don't probably, know. It was I'm one pretty of the... sure Charles V is the one that was involved with uh, Henry VIII in terms of. Well, maybe. It was one of the Spanish Habsburgs, that's all. Who eventually, yeah, who, it was yeah. just was like completely dis- deformed and mutated. And disgusting, yes. Okay. <sighs> so that's the eggnog. That's Are you enjoying the it? The eggnog, yes. Enjoying it? Yeah. It's not, I, you know, and I rarely say this, but it could use a little mint in it, I think. Is it ever served with mint? Uh, not that I found nutmeg and mm-hmm. cinnamon and various spices and allspice. Because your bourbon and mint go together very Yeah, well they do. You know, um, come May, we're going to have to do mint juleps. You know, I was thinking about mint juleps the other day, and we didn't end up doing them. But... Well, I think you should do them in May. we got to do them when the, when the derby goes down. Yeah, well, we can do that. I was going to say oh. one thing about eggnog, which is that it is a heavily dairy-based beverage. Right. So for the lactose intolerant among you, as Josh and I both are. Kate mostly. I'm only, I'm, I'm you know, I'm pretty. Imbibe with caution. I'm, I'm just mildly prejudiced. Against <laughs> lactose, I'm like I'm like that old guy who grew up in the South and is trying to get better, but he still was raised so to be prejudiced it, against yeah, eggnog. Yeah, yeah. And you're you not; know. it's not the most like racial slur. You don't call it the nog. Stop. <laughs> I won't drink that because I, I, I it's just how I was raised. Plus, I mean, we did this for the for Christmas, but mm-hmm. I also feel like eggnog is not a. I don't understand people who could like get drunk off of it. Like you have one cup and you're done, right? Casual drinkers, people who don't drink except when they're drinking eggnog. And it's so cl- not cloying, but it's like it's thick. It's a milkshake. Yeah, you know, oh. it's the kind of people who drink Bailey's. Oh. Bailey's. No, I was thinking milkshake. <laughs> a milkshake. If I ever talked to you about this, a milkshake is like the absolute worst thing I could imagine putting into my body. Just because of the lactose. Because it is both milk and. And ice cream together with mm. more milk product on Red's top. milkshakes are wonderful. I think about them and I, I visibly shiver because I'm just like, oh my oh, god. My... You're, yeah, your gut. Yeah. Just go crazy. How's the toys? It's Christmas time. You sold all the toys today. You should be happy. Oh, that was yesterday, but you know. What's it's... moving? What's moving this year? At this point mm-hmm. in the season, everything. Oh, hey, this will be a show. This will probably come out right after Christmas. So, um, Merry Christmas to everybody. Uh, I will be remarking on this in a the show that you will have already heard at this point but uh, thank you dania for your lovely christmas card i hope you enjoyed the package yeah Uh, thank you uh rj ryan for your plugs of the show Uh, i will remind folks again the joiners in 3d really interesting graphic novel that he wrote uh i would not plug it if i didn't like it even though he's a fan and a super fan and a friend of the show we're not on recommendations i know but i'm gonna plug that and i plugged it last week i just want to get all of the heavy plugging during christmas down because i want my friends to make money okay that makes sense yeah is there anything that you that you would i can't tell people where you work so i can't make any money well i mean what do you what do you want me to say like what because at this time of year people are buying anything that they can yeah yeah, you know you want to make kate happy go to itunes write us review but we'll talk about that later in the show yes we will yeah so what what are people buying though i don't know give me an age group and a sex a eight-year-old boy uh, Rainbow Loom. It's a fucking bracelet. Rainbow Loom. You're making bracelets for eight-year-old boys. Rainbow Loom. It's a whole thing. It's a it's a freaking craze. It's ridiculous. Okay. Are they sexed like the kits? Like you have the manly colors? No, it's just the one kit. That's good. Okay. Yeah. We have a lot of other things that are gender-based, but mm. no. I mean, give me another one. Come on. Hit me. Uh, Hit me. 12-year-old girl. Rainbow Loom. <laughs> what the... <laughs> Uh-huh. You're like fucking Henry Ford. You can have any toy you want as long as it's Rainbow Loom. I'm just saying it's it's uh, okay. Ten uh, year old boy who likes board games. Um, laser chess. What is laser chess? Um, it is well this particular I, set. I will is... tell you this. I'm interested in half of the idea. <laughs> 
it uh it's a chess set that you um well we have well it's a chess set that involves uh, the manipulating of the pieces so that you can turn them side to side and there are mirrors so you can reflect lasers in different Ooh. positions. So it's like a, yeah, and it's, oh, that's neat. So in this particular one, you, can you um, bring me one? instead of kings, you have pharaohs. So mm-hmm. you have to reflect pieces off of your Anubises mm-hmm. and your pyramids to hit the opponent's pharaoh. Oh, this is like some sort of national treasure type puzzle where you have to like, no, and I yeah. can't open the secret door unless the, I have the staff of Ra and the well of souls. Right, right. So yeah. that's, that's pretty popular. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. Uh, F- a four-year-old girl um, who has no hands and can't use Rainbow Loom. Well, that's just really sad. You're not going to give toys to sad children? No, I'm just what saying. What fucking I'm, monster are you? Well, I'm thinking of a lot of toys involved using your hands, mm-hmm. so. <laughs> so before I was going to say Goldie Blocks has been really mm-hmm. popular, as well as various well, dolls. They are just rocketing off, aren't they? They are. They but, you know, if she can't, if she can't use her hands, then it's kind of mm-hmm. like. It's a challenge for you. Uh, Make the sale. Rain- rainbow in my ABC. room. ABC. Always be closing. Rainbow in my room. What is rainbow in my room? It is a rainbow projector that you set in your room, and it projects rainbows. Oh, I love this. Is that is that the one you have in the bathroom at your store? Well, it's like the you know moon in my room. Laura's moon in my room. Right. That I bought her. Same company. Just uh, rainbow in my room. They also make earth in my room, and mm-hmm. you know, Laura loved it, and then she couldn't go to sleep with it. You know what the weird part is about? Well, about moon in your room. It's a company that is uh, the name of the company. Mm-hmm. Uncle Milton. Yeah, what's wrong with that? Does that not creep you out? Like, it makes me think you... of Milton Burl's enormous penis. Do you want... <laughs> exactly. Do you really want to think about think your, of Uncle un... your Uncle Milton when you're when no, you're I, buying I the gift? I don't want to think about Uncle Milty's <laughs> anything. Milty. <laughs> I don't want to think about Uncle Milty's Burl. <laughs> oh, speaking of Burl, again... did you ever see that episode of uh, of uh, uh, Intervention where there was the meth freak who his whole life he was obsessed with poaching Burl? No. Yeah, you know what Burl is, right? No. Okay, so it's um, there's a, it's a kind of wood that uh, like twisted and knotted wood with a really dense grain, and people will go out into like public lands. This is illegal. Yeah. You know, it's like ginseng poachers, but they go out there with chainsaws and find these fruit trees and hardwood trees that have fallen down and sell these big slabs of burl. Like, if you find the right burl, you sell it for 50000 bucks to some why? guy who wants to make a table out of it or something. But why would you want to make a table out of that as opposed to, like, any other wood? Because people, you know, it's like a tulip, you know? Okay. Um, but it's, it, it, and like ginseng poachers, these guys go out there and they spend all day and weeks in the woods just uh, with their chainsaw looking for the right <laughs> piece of wood. Just a man and his chainsaw. And his wood. Out on the range. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know ginseng poachers, right? No. Really? No. So there's natural ginseng in North Carolina. Oh. In the uh, in the forests, in the state forests, like in Pisgah National Forest and, mm-hmm. and uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Uh, but it's illegal, to, obviously, to take anything from those because they're national parks, public, public property. But people go in there and they poach that shit. And then they sell it. There's places all around, black market places all up there in the mountains selling ginseng. But They why? call it sang. Why? Uh, because people pay good dollar for, like, fresh-from-the-ground ginseng. But, uh, okay. I don't know, man. Hillbillies. It just seems like a really These weird These are the people who held Eric Rudolph, like, kept him secret for ten years. Just saying, it seems kind of weird. Hillbillies, man. Yeah. Well. They fucking invented bluegrass and incest. They did not invent incest. Mm. No. Uh, no, no. Whoever, God wh- invented incest. Well, that's true, because there would be none of us without... Exactly. You know, who the, Adam and Eve, you yeah. have what? You have one girl yeah. and one boy, and then... Where's, where mm, does Cain's wife come from? Girl. There you go. Uh, hey, you want to do screen time? Yeah, let's do screen time. All right, we're going to take a break first, though. Yeah. 
Okay. This is going to be screen time. Yep. This is the part of the show where Kate and I, each week, go to random.org, roll a number between 1 and 26 now, because Boom. Kate had a birthday. Boom. And watch the movie that was number one in America that week in the year that we rolled. So, so yours was, what was the number that we rolled? Uh, 23? Something like that. Right. So mine was 1996's 101 Dalmatians, and yours was 2000. 11s. Give me the full title on this because I'm going to mess it up. The Twilight Saga, colon, Breaking Dawn, comma, part one. All right. Which of us is going to go first? I feel, I don't know. I feel like we have more to say about, I mean, we have actually a lot to say about both. So yeah. let's just start with you. Okay. So 101 Dalmatians, I probably don't need to say, is a remake of the classic 1961 Disney animated picture. It was part of a spate of Disney remakes of animated movies and old Disney movies that they were making in the 90s. Some of them successful, some of them some not, not so successful. <laughs> uh, but this one, this one, of course, tore it up at the box office. Uh, penned and produced by John Hughes, although not directed by him. And starring Jeff Daniels and the living Richardson sister, although they were both living at the time, weren't they? Yes, they were. Uh, Jolie Richardson, who is very cute, although she and Jeff Daniels have almost no chemistry whatsoever. We'll get to that. Uh, but And uh, Glenn Close as Cruella de Vil villain of the movie and uh, TV's house Hugh Laurie as one of her bumbling sidekicks and a few other recognizable faces along the way Dame Joan Plowright in a role that doesn't need to exist but she's there yeah for some reason well she exists to just merely to say the puppies up the puppies right. I tried to stop well, the, right. well now she's southern for some reason right but... I don't what is with you like your impressions they all end up being Paul Lind <laughs> and your voices all end up being Lindsey Graham my mother yeah it's your mother Lindsey Graham I hope not but they do sound very familiar or very um, similar so the movie hues pretty closely to the animated original. Uh, they've updated a little bit. Like instead of a composer, the Jeff Daniels character this time is a video game director and a really whatever pointless nod to modernity. Julie Richardson works as a fashion designer. She works with Cruella Deville. Cruella Deville is of course obsessed with these uh, black and white puppies because she wants spots to be in this season and shows up at their house several times, cackling, saying she'll make these puppies her own. And despite the fact that they don't want to sell them. And then a bunch of people get dumped into poop and kicked in the nuts. And she steals the puppies. And then they, the dogs bark at each other from across the dell, like they do in the other, the original and in the book. Uh, and, then, and then they bring them back and then they rescue all the dogs. It just seemed like a really pointless remake to me. I'm just not sure I have any sensibility to really judge this movie at all. I Why? mean, I didn't enjoy it, but it's like clearly not marketed to me. Basically... Yeah. Basically, the only thing that this movie made me think was, I don't want to have children. Uh, because, you know, this is the kind of movie that they'll this, just make this you... This is the one thing that made you think you didn't want to no, have children. I, I'm not going to have children anyway. But, you know, it's it's the kind of movie that you're, the kids, you'll own on DVD, and the kids will just insist that you watch over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And if you ever want to take that DVD out of the DVD player, the minute that you want to put in, you know, Scarface or season one of Felicity, the kid will be like, I gotta watch 101 Dalmatians, I gotta watch 101 Dalmatians. And then you put it on, right, and they're not even watching the fucking movie. Like, that's the thing. It's like wallpaper to them. You know, you put it on and then they go play with their fucking shit on the floor in front of the TV. But you're sitting there and you're doing shit in the house and you hear the same lines over and over again. And you see the same face over and over again. You know, I have a friend who talked about working in a movie theater when Problem Child 2 Ooh. was in the theaters, right? And he was two. Uh, again, I'm not quite up on my 
problem child oeuvre. But there was a, like, the final scene of whichever one this was involved someone being dumped in a vat of poo and, like, staring into a pig's ass. And he walked in every day when he was an usher and had to, like, when the movie was ending, he saw this fucking pig's ass. He was like, this is the, I can't take this anymore. This is making me hate movies. Because every day I have to see this pig's balls and a pile of shit Every day, four times a day. Honestly, that could be either Problem Child 1 or 2, because there, I think there's a he- healthy level of poop in both. Mm-hmm. I do think that that might be Problem Child 1, which was the uh, one with Michael Richardson. I don't know. Of Seinfeld fame. Michael Richards. Whatever. And uh, His son is Michael Richards. <laughs> Michael son. Richards' son. But you know what I'm saying? It's yes, one of those things like like I could never have kids because I would I would literally because I know I couldn't kill the kids. And by the way, that's the worst part of having kids is that you're not allowed to kill them. Well, you are. Well, I mean, just can. the ones. But you, like, I would literally, I would start shoving shit in my ears to not hear this stuff, because, or like leaving and going and punching the walls. And then I would walk out of the house, and because I have tic tacs in my ears, I would get hit by a bus, and it would all be 101 Dalmatians' Why fault. Why would you put tic tacs in your ears to, sh- of to block out the fucking sound but instead of earplugs? Because I don't own, I don't own earplugs, and I have to stop the sound right now. And okay. all I have right. are fucking jujubes or this whatever. Is juju? What? This is interesting. This goes back to I think our discussion of children's TV. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, children's movies and children's TV are very right. similar. Yes. Because it's basically one long TV episode, right. any children's movie. And the thing about kids is that you just have to kind of deal with it. I mean, this is what happens with me and my, my young one mm-hmm. and uh, Paw Patrol. Right. Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol every week. He's watching mm-hmm. it, and I really just want to punch the TV and be like, no, we're done. And Marshall, this fucking dog, I don't care if he gets euthanized tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know. But and the thing is, like, for like my- a brief period like it's everything to them and you spend all this money and like you got to get the dvd and you got to get the fucking pillowcases that have it on they got to get the 101 dalmatian gym jams and then a a week later they're wiping their ass with it that's part of being a kid and that's that's not even true teaching them like shitty american consumptive values i mean you could argue that but i'm saying that i think uh the kid i watch he's really into cars like the Mm -hmm. movie cars yeah and has been for like two years. I bet he's also right, but that's also like a thing. It's like dinosaurs. Dinosaurs are like you can get a kid a dinosaur. I'm talking about specifically the movie Cars. I know, but he's, I bet he's also into cars. I bet like you go outside and he sees a truck and he's like, "Fuck yeah, truck!" Well, yeah, right? but but I'm saying like there's certain things that you can bet on that, which by the way, are the kind of things that they can't copyright and patent and you know sell soundtrack albums to. But like dinosaur kids are gonna like dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Rockets kids are gonna like rockets. Right? Yes. Kids are going to like race cars. Right? Yeah. And kids are going to like to play dress up. Right. You know? Like you can count on those things. I understand that, Josh. What I'm saying is that there are really weird obsessions that kids have mm-hmm. that some kids might, you know, there's certain things that might be with them for a day. It might be with them for a year. But then there are certain things they're obsessed with for a really fucking long time. Yeah. Like me, I had Princess Jasmine sheets probably yeah, until that's I true. was like, until like. I think until I was like seven or eight, and I had a little plush Raja that I got from Christmas mm-hmm. that year that was basically threadbare by the yeah, time I still love I got my Eeyore. It. Exactly. Like, there's just weird things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fuck you for trying to, for hating on the saying, children. I'm not hating the children. I'm saying I could never deal with that. Oh. I'm saying I just could not, I couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, I have to be the lowest common denominator in my household. If there's someone below me, <laughs> shit does not work. I have to, I have to, shit flows downhill and there can't be anybody downhill from me. Well, I mean, if you are a parent, 
literally your hands will be well. That's the other part shit. of it is just poop. When... There's poop everywhere. It's poop everywhere. Everything. It's just all poop. It's just poop on food. Poop on hands. Poop like poop in places where before you have a kid you would not consider. Like you, I bet you, like, <laughs> I bet you, like, I guarantee you. If you are, if you have a child and you're reading a children's book, mm-hmm. there will be some time that you open up a children's book and there will be poop in the book that just accidentally got there from when like there was a diaper accident. You know, so far that hasn't happened to me. But it, it would happen. You know, it could Maybe. happen. There's just know. like poop. There's like poop surprise everywhere. <laughs> it's like crypto poop. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying, right? Like as an adult mm-hmm. in the adult world. Mm-hmm. Now I'm not saying it's a guarantee because there's no guarantees in life. Mm-hmm. Okay, but you can make a reasonably safe assumption in your adult life as to the places where you are and are not likely to encounter feces. <laughs> okay, and all the bets are off with kids. Like there could be there could be poop anywhere. It could be you, 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 priceless Ming vase poop. <laughs> the, the R to RS volume of the encyclopedia just a big turd sitting inside inside of it. You know, like, okay. your old Atari 2600 controller that hasn't been out of the attic since 1982, somehow there is a diaper with poop on it. Okay, I understand, but what this is sounding like to me is that you're just afraid of parenting. Well, yeah. Not afraid, but like, okay, I get it. Not competent but at it? back to the movie, I understand okay. that it's a kid's movie. But to me, it's just that same kind of thing. It's just like, I have no control over this. Yeah, it is. It's the, You're right. It's my, it's, it's, I have no control over this. There's going to be 101 Dalmatians on my screen, and I'm going to hear it a thousand times, and I'm going to see that uh, Glenn Close kissing that stupid stuffed donkey or whatever it was, and I'm going to see Jeff Bridges, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, a lot <laughs> well, better. better with Jeff Bridges. We had the dude in it. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Daniels fall into that fucking lagoon in Hyde Park uh, umpteen trillion times, and there's not a damn thing I can do about it. And when I want to get away, I'm going to go to the kitchen, and well, I'm going to open up the fridge, and there's going to be a turd there. That, okay. Well, you know what you do in that case? You you make Divorce. your kids No, you make your kids watch Star Wars or something else that you can understand and appreciate. I would make my kids watch something about, like, cholera. So they know the what appropriate the f- places to put poop. Kids, you gonna make your two-year-old yeah. watch kids, a documentary about exactly cholera? Right. Kids, you don't poop in the toilet. This is what happens. Okay, only if they this, poop in the water. This supply. is what happens to people who can't handle their shit. No, cholera is what happens to societies when they don't have proper can't water. Handle their shit. <laughs> okay, so what did you think of that hundred one donations? That and the fact that these are the two least responsible pet owners in the world. That was like, my whole point. Yeah, was- but yeah, go ahead. Was this, this movie, like, I really, it's so innocent. It's so childlike because it's a child's Disney movie. But if you look at the implications of it, you sit there and you realize that there are these two people in London who, for some reason, walk their dogs outside. And as and far as I can get tell, off the leash constantly. They get off the leash constantly, but somehow neither one is, neither one mm-hmm. is, is spayed or neither. Neither one is fixed. Right. Yeah. Neither one is fixed. But Cruella DeVille is the villain in the movie. Yeah. You know? You know, if I mean, you really want to, which, by the way, this is our chance to get out the message. If you really want to reduce animal suffering in the world, get your pet fixed. Yeah. And, and instead of getting a little kitten from the store or whatever, go get a shelter dog. Well, get a, an adult animal. Right. Get an adult animal. Well, my whole point is it just seems really weird. It, it has this whole, like, false utopian, oh, we got puppies. Right. We have 15 puppies. Right. And then. Never mind that that very day in London. 10,000 dogs were euthanized? Probably. Yeah, you know. 
I mean, it is on. It is astonishing the number of animals that animal control kills. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, because you used to work at yeah. a shelter. I mean, it's, you know. We had like a 40% in a, euthanasia rate. Well, and that's really low because yeah. we live in a little hippie college town. I mean, in the county that I used to work in that had a crazy feral cat problem, I mean, we're talking on the order of 80,000 cats a year. Uh, getting getting destroyed. It's craziness. Well, my whole point, I mean, and I, again, I realize that this is a children's movie, but it also just seems so unrealistic, even within those bounds. Like, 15 puppies, you have this overly hypochondriac villain show up mm. several times and say that she wants your puppies. <laughs> right. And then for these And spin- then <laughs> when the puppies get kidnapped, they have no idea who to tell the police to look after. Yeah. No idea. They're like, who would oh, want our puppies? Who would have stolen our 15 puppies? Who would want them? Was it the crazy lady who came no, to your house what? yelling about no. their spots? Who would want our puppies? Has anyone? I can't. I'm going to I'm going to go work on this video game. And this is another thing oh, that man, bothered me. And I <laughs> realized is that uh, she apparently doesn't work after they get married, or she's still working like part-time as a fashion designer or something. I thought she got fired for well, not she, selling the puppies. She, not selling she, the puppies. she does, like, the sure. first time Corolla yeah. comes to their house. But the point is, she's not working. He's a video, a struggling video game mm-hmm. designer, but they sell this lovely flat it's in London. It's a really nice place. Well, no, it's like a, yeah, it's like a walk-up. I mean, it's, it's yeah. a nice place. And then, at the end of the movie, when they rescue all of the other mm-hmm. Dalmatians that Corolla yeah. has stolen. Suddenly, they move into Blenheim Palace They move into shit. a giant palace, because, like... The police officer has this line where he comes over to Jolie Richardson and is like, Unfortunately, sir, no one is picking up the other puppies. And you know, and does he mean like the what... other thousands of puppies that he they means have at the, the other no. the other no, like eighty five cute puppies. The other eighty puppies right. that they have that Corilla was stealing. Right. And then like Jeff Daniels just looks at Jolie Richardson and gives this kind of like Oh, how about it? How about it? She's also like what, three and months you know pregnant what at the time? That is how you end up that is how you become uh, Mia Farah. That's how you become Angelina Jolie, where you just like, yeah, er, why not? 18 well, more and Cambodian then the last, kids. The last scene is them in this like house with 100 fucking Dalmatians yeah. on their grounds. Like, I don't care what, like, you would have to live in a massive house for that to be, like, yeah. any kind of viable right. or feasible. There's just poop everywhere in the yard, you know? And again, it's not a documentary, so I understand that. But yeah. It's, it's like, just, I worry I worry about the cats at the Hemingway house, and there's only, like, 30 of I those think, motherfuckers. Honestly, I think what it is is that translating it over to live action makes those things a little starker. When they look, when they are real dogs, and they look like real dogs well, that you see at the pound, except for the shitty CGI. Well, they're all, first of all, but, they're all Dalmatians. So. Right, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think this is the kind of thing where the animal issues become a lot closer to the front when they're real animals yeah. involved. Well, and, you know, that's, and, 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 and that's not even commenting on, on the shelters that after this movie saw all the abandoned Dalmatians that kids wanted I'm and sure. then when two months later when they were into fucking Lightning McQueen wait that's like 15 years yeah whatever you know what I'm saying and then they give up the Dalmatian oh I know and it's really sad and Dalmatians it's really are like strange. the fucking Vietnamese pot-bellied pig of the dog world mm-hmm. but I was just gonna point out that um, the dogs in this movie that actually make a fucking difference aka the wire terrier he's really cute yeah. no one says anything to the wire terrier and once again this is going to be one of my continuing beefs with animal movies and animal like this happened with paw patrol and it's going to happen with 101 dalmatians why is it that the animals can talk to each other but they still have to do crazy miming actions when they speak it's just yeah. for our amusement and it's weird well, and why is it that all animals can talk to one another but they can't talk to humans. Like, where is the line? 
like, why can't they talk to humans? Like, chimpanzees can talk to baboons, can talk to gorillas, but there's some sort of Chinese wall at humans. It makes no sense. And here's another question. Why is it that Jeff Daniels taught his dog to open the door and turn on coffee pots and shit like that? Like, I don't know. The point- why did he teach him to make coffee, but he didn't teach him to not fuck skank do- dogs that are running down the street? Um... I mean, like, this movie is ultimately really yeah. lighthearted, but when you're watching it as an adult, you're kind of like, oh, my God. It's like the other day. I just felt dead, honestly. Like, I, it was, like, I watched, like, there's Glenn Close, first of all, seems like she's in a completely different movie where she's, like, doing this really broad thing. And then occasionally Jeff Daniels and Julie Richardson, Richardson get, like, you know, kicked in the nuts or something. But there's, like, it's just very, like, it felt. It just felt like I, I felt like I wasn't watching a movie. I didn't. I mean, you mentioned like a TV. It felt like a TV movie. That's what it felt like. It felt like a TV movie, like a holiday TV movie type thing. Yeah. Which you know, if they can do that and you know spend twenty billion dollars and make one hundred twenty zillion dollars, which they did well, in a sequel. I mean, we can complain about animal cruelty and stuff as long as we want. Which the implications from this movie are ridiculous. But ultimately, I think if you watch any children's movie. And as an adult, like, you just eventually, you start looking at it in, like, yeah. all these really dark terms and you forget why people liked it. I was yep. watching The Little Mermaid the other day. You know, it was the same thing. I was like, mm-hmm. this is such a feminist nightmare, like, all these things. And I realized, wait, I'm watching a fucking Disney cartoon. I need to calm down. Yeah, that's down that know. path lies Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. All right. Okay. So your movie. My movie was 2011's The Twilight Saga, mm-hmm. Breaking Dawn, part one. And let's preface this by saying, I have not read any of the books. I have not seen any of the movies. I know broad outlines mm-hmm. that they were written by a Mormon woman and they're about uh, teenage vampires. Uh, I have not read any of the books. <coughs> I have seen I've seen the first two movies and I've also just kind of followed internet buzz about things that happened and talked to friends who had read them and whatever. So I was probably more prepared. In fact, I was more prepared than Josh going into this movie, but I'd never actually seen it. So Breaking Dawn Part 1 stars uh, Kristen Stewart, Robert Pattinson, and Taylor Lautner. It's the fourth out of the five Twilight movies with the four books in the same series. The plot of this one, which covers the first half of the last book, because apparently they felt the need to split it into two movies, which is becoming a very disturbing trend, honestly, (laughs) focuses on Bella Swan, the protagonist, as she readies to marry her vampire love, Edward. And one is she's confronted with all these issues, you know, what is my friendship with with other people going to be after this? Is it going to be bliss? Um, Is it going to be a huge mistake? Is he going to end up mysteriously impregnating her with demon seed that may or may not be a heavy handed mm-hmm. metaphor for AIDS? Who knows? Um, AIDS? <laughs> Anyhow. Um, there's a lot of uh, scene pieces. Uh, it's very beautifully directed. And mm-hmm. the plot, and not the plot, sorry, the uh, the costumes and like the, the design is all really well and good. But basically, you know, Taylor Lautner is shirtless and... Mm-hmm wooden and Robert Pattinson looks like a corpse like ridiculously yeah. so so much to the point where you're like why do none of the other why do like 13 year old residents... girls masturbate thinking about this corpse that's what I was <laughs> no seriously I'm like what is this thing he looks he looks like if you saw a person who looked like that you would be like have you seen a doctor well I was wondering is like no one in Forks thinks that well they think that they're weird but not that they're like wow you're really pale and creepy and you have red eyes yeah. that might be a problem anyway Kristen Stewart looks like she's completely miserable mm-hmm. um, the plot is awful I mean, and I feel like, like the internet what? has, and everybody really has loudly voiced this before, which is just that the Twilight series are so problematic and so just fucked up in so many different ways. But this one in particular, mm-hmm. with all of its focus on sex and marriage, yeah, I mean, the and core childbirth. argument is like sex 
the dangers of sex. Like and, that's the where the suspense, such as it is, and exists. you know, losing your virginity or, or becoming your own person as a woman, as a, a sexual woman. It's just, uh, it's like she decided to write the like this anti-feminist textbook, and she just called it Twilight. But like I said, I think that most of the things I'm talking about have been covered on the internet as well. But because Josh had not seen or mm-hmm. read anything about Twilight before, I want to pass it off to you. What did you think, Josh? I'm going to start off saying nice things, which is that Bill Conant is a really talented director and has made movies that I like a lot before, and I'm going to recommend one of them in our recommendations today. Visually, there's a lot that's really pretty in this movie. Uh, There's one sort of nightmare that Kristen Stewart has where her wedding cake turns into a pile of corpses, which I thought was visually very striking. And then there's uh, the weird pedo dream that the wolf boy has toward the end of the movie uh, where he falls in love with the unborn child, which is just... So weird. So much. Uh, So, but but it was pretty. That stuff. Although the CGI wolves, thank goodness, they only get like one or two scenes. Do they get more in the other movies? Do you know? Because they were just really creepy and not. There's nothing in them in the original Twilight, really, and the second Twilight movie, uh, Full Moon, or Mm -hmm. I'm guessing there's wolves in that, or whatever. That's the the. They're, they're wolves, but this mm-hmm. is the most wolf-heavy movie really? that I've seen. They're just, they're really, they're like worse than the dire wolves in season two of Game of Thrones. Oh, God, yeah. You know, and those were not good. No. So there's that. So I'm going to get, I'm going to talk about everything before I get to the problematic story. I think Kristen Stewart is totally unfairly maligned in popular culture. There's this thing, apparently it's a meme that she can't act or that her face doesn't do anything and that she's boring. I think that's not true. In this, I thought she was one of the most lively people in the movie, even though she had nothing to do. So like you said, it looked like she was sort of casting about for things to do. I think she's a talented actor. Uh, I think it's sort of unfair that she gets it from all directions because the little fangirls hate her for sleeping with the Red Riding Hood director or whatever it was or Big Bad Wolf or whatever the yeah. fuck that movie was and uh, and then everybody else beats up on her because they think she can't act. I think she's got Hayden Christensen syndrome to be honest. You know, who Hayden Christensen also I think is a talented actor who was A, horribly miscast. I think she's miscast here, which you can say. But the problem is that it's not really a role that you could cast because it's such a horrible character and a say, I think thinly she's defined as, I think she's paper doll. As well right. cast in the role she possibly anybody um, could have been. But like Hayden Christensen who was in a role that was barely a role, also sort of a paper doll role. It becomes this role that every... Like, I, I would wager to say that more people have seen her in these roles than any of her other roles right. combined, probably by an order of magnitude. Um, so th- her work in these movies becomes definitive of her career, which I think is, is not fair because, yeah, there's only so much you can do. You can't polish a turd. So, you know, she's talented. Which should be the motto of this movie and our review of it as well. That actually is. You can't polish a turd. That really would be the summary of my motto, which is that it's a problematic story that has been broken into a chunk that doesn't even match a full story arc. Nope. So it's not a full story. It's a story that seems to argue that sex is wrong and dangerous, but at the same time, women have to use sex to tame monster men who may or may not hurt them when they have sex, but, you know, that's what men are. And it was just, like, problematic on so many grounds. It takes agency away from everybody. It takes agency away from the men, takes agency away from the women, and just says, these things are your nature. This is what you should do. You know, and aside from the obvious argument of, you know, why you should save yourself for marriage, it's like, you know, if she had uh, had sex with this guy and it had been bad sex or she had hurt her arm or shit before they got married she'd be like I'm not gonna no for the rest of my life no I'm not gonna do that that's not cool man but you know again and then the whole thing where the werewolf kid uh, falls in love with an unborn baby Mm -hmm. that is creepy as fucking shit yep 
that is like, and so the feeling that I got when I was watching this, and I said this to you the other day, it was like watching one of these um, Soviet-era socialist realism movies or Leni Riefenstahl or some movie in which a, a compelling artistic sensibility was marshaled toward just a bizarre ideology that no amount of uh, ability can save. And I think, you know, that's what happens here. You have talented director, talented at least lead actress. You know, you have Anna Kendrick in here who is char- a charming human being, although she has like eight scenes, but if that. Less. But, you know, you can't polish turd. Yeah. You know, I guess that's my sum total of this movie. Can't polish turd. I really want Harry Plinkett to do an analysis of these movies. Mm-hmm. Because beyond of beyond the obvious like feminist nightmare and just the sexual, I mean, like, oh my god, like you know, you even start talking about it. This movie both worships sexuality and thinks that it is terrible and demonic and destructive. Yeah, that's what's bizarre about it. It's like it's so it exists in a world that I don't. You know, it's like it's like watching Sarah Palin speak. It's like I don't. What are you? What is these things you're like? Where did this come from? And then when you think that Fifty Shades of Grey started out as erotic fan well, fiction yeah, because of this, well, right? It's like it is a whole. It is just a which, giant stew, graduate student master class on how fucked up sexuality is in this country, or that people want it to be because people idolize this. Oh shit. no, I think the fact that they idolize it is a reflection of how it is. Things are because you mm. know all sorts of shit gets made that people don't work, don't fall in love with, and buy in droves. Yeah. All right, so what are our movies next week? What number did we roll? What are our movies? I think it five? we rolled a five. Yeah. So it was second week of December, third week of December. Yes. Yeah, third like week that. of December for me it was 1978, and that was Superman colon the movie. <laughs> And yours was? 1993's The Pelican Brief, starring uh, Julie Roberts and... Denzel Washington. Denzel Washington. All right. Sounds good. And we're looking forward to that. We're going to do that. All right. Let's go refresh Superman. our drinks. Superman. The song says Superman. Okay. Hey, why aren't you having any more dreams lately? I do. No, I do dream. I really do. But uh, lately, it seems like they're all just like fitting the stupid pattern where like I'm in a weird vacation house that I seems vaguely familiar. And mm-hmm. then there's like a, a, an attractive, effeminate man that does something crazy. Like, you know, be like fucking Tom Hiddleston showed up in my childhood house that had been recently renovated. And he's driving a Porsche. And he's like, Hey Kate, come with me, and I'm like, Is he a feminist? Sorry, I don't bro. Think he's that effeminate. I don't know, like Tumblr bait. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, the last I, I, I let's see, I had a kind of a reoccurring dream last night about. Did we talk about like the the hotel dream that I had, where like it was a hotel, no. but it was also like uh, there was like the secret like demonic thing going on where everyone had to be indoors by a certain hour, mm-hmm. like at a certain time of every year so for like, like a gremlins. night of like the culling or something. Oh. So it was like the same hotel, except it was my childhood house. It's like Cold Comfort Farm, where they, it's the counting once a year. Yeah, and it'd been, it'd been redone by the people that I babysit for, and they were having a barbecue, and then someone showed up, some kind of celebrity, some effeminate man. I don't remember who it was, but that's, 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 okay. that's the point. I haven't had any unique dreams in a while. Okay. You see the latest Paw Patrol? Yeah, man. Yeah. It's a Christmas special. I do like a Paw Patrol Christmas special. Yeah. It was nice to see Popper again. Yeah. 
Could, wait, is he even in other episodes? Yeah, he's, he comes back every year in the Christmas special. On, only on the Christmas yeah, special? Yeah, he's only there on Christmas. Wasn't he there on, like, summer But sweeps? this is Popper, Paw Patrol's uh, brother. Yeah, Paw Patrol. He's always got, like, a crazy get-rich scheme. Well, yeah, and then this this week's his, uh, what was it? It was um something about basilisks. Yes. Yeah. He was going to it was gonna be a farm. He was going to farm-raise basilisks because they make their own stone, and apparently stone is important in troll land. Well, what else are you going to make bridges out of? That is true. I mean, stone is solid. That is a good point. So it was a whole, but of course he always needs seed money. Yep. From Papa, and that always provides Papa uh, a chance to say his catchphrase, which is, I trolled you this would happen. It's I, The t-shirts uh, are very cute. Well, see, here's my thing is I feel like it's- I it's, trolled you. I trolled you this would happen. I feel like it's a very sad reality of the troll world where Paw Patrol is the sensible, like, hardworking one. He is. He's a little hot-headed, but it's only because he loves his family. Right, exactly. But his kids still love Paw Patrol a little well, bit more. It's because it's the Flash- Exactly. They're you like, value flash why over can't substance? you be like Uncle Paw Patrol? You never give him any credit. And then, you know, because. But, you know, in the end, Popper has to tell the kids, hey, you know what? I look up to your dad. Yeah, well, because, you know, Popper shows up with, like, a brand new dolly for, for Susie. And she likes right. it even though, you know, she's way older than that now. And little right. little Timmy and whatnot. And, you know, it just, it. It's it's very. You can imagine that if you were the Paw Patrol, you would be very. I can't frustrated. wait. I thought he was going to mix it up with Zach Ork, because to me those seem, you know because they're so similar. But sometimes people who are so similar, you're talking about Popper, Paw Patrol, Popper and Zach Ork. Oh. You know they both don't take guff. Don't take any guff. But one's like a and grifter. They both got, but no, they both got big dreams. Yeah, well, so Zach Ork has really big dreams, especially when we call the little Susie Troll across the street. Am I right? Okay. Yep. 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 All right, so let's see, a little housekeeping. Yep. As always, we welcome your iTunes reviews. We really welcome them. If you want to give us a Christmas present, the Christmas present you can give us is an iTunes review or a little comment on our page or an email, anything to let us know that you are listening, even if you hate our show. Or it's okay, because you, you know what, honestly, like I hate our show most of the time. Or you could just send us booze. I'm just no. kidding. Don't send us booze. No. Send us your love. No. Come get your love. Why are you singing uh, that classic American near folk, ancient <laughs> ba- ballad. folk ballad? Uh, come get you. So anyhow, if you want to get up with us, we are uh, pntcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at, at pntcast. Our web address is pntcast.wordpress.com. We're on Tumblr, pntcast.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook. Look us up as prefer not to. And we are on iTunes. Yep. All right. So, no new letters to the editor from actual listeners uh, this week. So we're gonna have to <laughs> gonna have to read a letter not to, to us to a editor. Yes, not, exactly. Not us. Yep. But one out there. Hey, fill for time. I gotta dig this shit up. I really want to record the Paw Patrol theme song. Yeah, we need to come up with a Paw Patrol theme song. Do we have a Paw Patrol? No, I... we don't have a Paw Patrol theme song. Yes, we do. What is it? Did you come up with one? Really, you were an actor in high school. Well. <sighs> <laughs> That is the most convincing read you can give me, Chris what, and Stewart. What is the line? What's the line? <laughs> give me the line. What, what, what's the What's the line? Uh, Stella. Stella? Like Stella. I mean, like what do you want me to? No, uh, no, no. It's uh, it goes. Uh, Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, he's the papa of the trolls. Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, works all day collecting tolls. Paw Patrol, Paw Patrol, all my dreams fulfilled. For my darling, I love you, and I'm Paw Patrol. 
I think it works well. But it may be reminiscent of another song. So does Victor Von Tusk get like an and credit, by the way? Is it like and Terrence Stamp and as, Terrence Stamp as, as Victor Von Tusk? Yeah, he, well, you know, in the first season, he was not in the credits. Right. He was like a special guest star. Right. Um, Brought in for sweeps. Well, you know, just now and then because he, he had other work and then, you know. But yeah. eventually, as he sort of, the, the mythos coalesced around Victor Von Tusk as a nemesis, mm. then they brought him in. So that's how that works. Is Mr. Victor Von Tusk, does he run the Paw Patrol, like his, his troll company? Like, or is it's he just like. It's company. It's the toll authority. It's well, the, the transit tolling, authority. Yeah, I know. But does he run the transit authority or is he just kind of like a ne'er-do-well, not ne'er-do-well, but like a like a, a looming businessman, like a la Mr. Burns on The Simpsons? That He's not a businessman. He's just an overbearing boss. Oh, okay. Well. No. There's higher-ups. There's shadowy powers that manipulate the destinies of everyone involved that we haven't even seen. There. They're faceless. Yeah. They're nameless like the rest of us at the mercy of faceless, nameless forces that we can't even begin to comprehend. Right. They exist outside of our ken. Ancient powers that the world has not yet begun to reckon with. Those play in Paw Patrol's life so, as well. Like, are they Cthulhu? Or are they like the creatures from that weird movie we watched the other day with mm. Sam Neill? Like... It's whatever lives in a Rubik's Cube. So Elf on the Shelf. I was going to say, so Pinhead, basically. You love those movies. I do, but I'm just saying, like, you know, you say Rubik's Cube, I immediately think Puzzle Box. I think Erno Rubik. Which makes me think of Hellraiser. Erno Rubik. Say say Erno Rubik. Erno Rubik? I think that's his name. Rubik? Yeah. Erno Rubik? Yeah. That's why that house you built is very Erno Rubik. (laughs) You're not getting enough Erno Rubik exercise. (laughs) Okay, we got to get to the During the Erna Rubik period right. of human history. During the late Erna Rubik. <laughs> the, Men the began to walk. <laughs> the pharaohs of the late Erna Rubik dynasty. Experimented with early bronze technology. Yes, exactly. Okay, so seriously, i got to find these letters. I can't see them. When, when they're on the PC, I can find them, and I can't find them here. Okay, here we go. Uh, this was a good letter uh, for Christmas. Okay. This is a, uh, a letter from the uh, Rochester Democrat and Chronicle of Rochester, New York. Recently, I was having lunch with a friend at the Atlantic Family Restaurant in Webster when my purse fell to the floor. I didn't notice anything fall out. I wish to thank the person who found my cell phone and turned it in at the cashier, and many thanks to the employee who made phone calls with the numbers on the phone to let me know that the phone had been turned in. I will never forget these beautiful, honest people. God bless you. Lena Smith of Penfield. I like that. That's a good seasonal note to go out on. People being nice to one another. Well, I'm always, well, I'm nice to people. Yeah? Yeah. You know, once in a, a restaurant that I will not name. Like, I, I'm i sorry. I've just never understood the point of going out of your way to being mean to strangers. You you say that. A restaurant I will not name okay. that I enjoy eating at. Yeah. Where they have delicious vegetarian chili. Yeah. They have, like, little coat hooks next to the tables. Yeah. Next to the booths. And there was a coat there, and uh, there was a phone in one of the coat pockets, and it started ringing. And it, and it and it rang, and then it rang like three or four times. The person hung up, and then it started ringing again. So I call, uh, called over to the manager. I said, hey, you know, I don't, this is someone's phone. Uh, and then, no, 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 we picked up the phone, and we answered it, because it looked like someone, it was like someone left their phone here, right? Turned out it was one of the waiters who hung his phone, his jacket, like on the table thing, and he got really pissed off. He's like, don't answer other people's damn phone. That's kind of an asshole thing. I mean, 
maybe. I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, if I if I found someone's lost phone. Yeah. Well, Jane, you'd answer it, right? Just be like, is this a friend of yours? Because it looks like their phone. We thought their phone was lost. Well, so, like, if somebody's calling, we'd be like, eh. and he was all douchey. Still eat there, though. Yeah. Well, they have great vegetarian chili. Yeah. Recommendations? Yeah, sure. So, uh, my recommendation mm-hmm. for this week is the 1943 Hitchcock classic, Shadow of a Doubt. Great movie. Perfect movie, in Josh's opinion. Well, it has some issues. We can mm-hmm. talk about this. But anyways, Shadow of the Doubt is a uh, 1943 Alfred Hitchcock picture starring Joseph Cotton and Teresa Wright. The plot focuses on the arrival of a long-lost uncle to a middle-class family in California. The eldest girl in the family, named Charlie, is named after her uncle and begins an intense friendship with the man that she's never met. I thought they met when they were younger. They met, like, when he was, like... Yeah, when when she she was was a child. A a child, but she begins an intense friendship with a man she hardly knows. Yes. But he isn't all that he seems. Bum, bum, bum. So that's the the plot without giving mm-hmm. too much away. It's really well done, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's classic Hitchcock. Um, he said it's himself it was his favorite movie of his, and I think for good reason. Every shot is really well thought out. The creepiness of the characters and the circumstances are just a little too much, mm-hmm. which makes it all that more delicious. It's a pretty <laughs> intense picture for a movie without a lot of like explicit violence or anything, but it's just the tension keeps just building ratcheting and building, up yeah. and, and going then farther and farther. All and... these really unique shots and framing and stuff that kind of throws you off, and then you realize, oh my god, this movie was made in 1943, mm-hmm. and I... And there's all sorts of like weird incest overtones. Yeah, don't, and, yeah, and, yeah. Like... It, Lots of very strange like, stuff. And, it, like, very sort of nihilist. Like, Joseph Cotton's character is a possibly evil uh, and, it like, makes very strong arguments that seem convincing to this girl about why you should just be a nihilist and do and take whatever you want in this world. My thing was that you forget throughout the movie that they're actually related. Like, you'll mm-hmm. have scenes where you're like, oh, they're mm-hmm. just lovers who haven't, you know, who are, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, that's... An uncle. Like where they're holding one another close and and there's a soft focus. Yeah, and there's a soft focus and like, you know, they're upset and I'm just like, oh, 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 God, oh, God. And anyway, it's it's really well done. I liked it a lot. I cackled. I was freaked out. It was wonderful. Yep. It is, uh, yeah, it is as Hitchcocky as they get and it's wonderful and perfect. I couldn't agree with you more on Shadow of a Doubt. What is it? 1943? 1943? Shadow of a Doubt. Shadow of a Doubt. Right. Josh? So I'm going to recommend two things. Both of which uh, springboard off of our discussion of The Twilight Saga, colon, Breaking Dawn, comma, part one. Uh, One is a movie directed by the director of that movie, Bill Condon, and it's a movie called Gods and Monsters. Uh, It's about, it's a sort of loose telling of the death of James Whale, the horror movie director who directed Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and a lot of really classic uh, classic Hollywood era horror movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, basically openly gay at a time when being that in Hollywood was not a thing that was you could do. Uh, and he died under suspicious circumstances. And this is sort of a fantasia on identity politics and horror and being an artist and being open about who you are. And it's a really interesting movie. And it's kind of spooky and fun at the same time. It's uh, all people you would like. It's uh, uh, Ian McKellen and Brendan Fraser. Oh, good God. And uh, good times. Good times. So that's the first Only imagine. Uh, it's really, really good. Oh, and Lynn Redgrave as a, a, a German uh, housemaid who is like, the, the character she reminds me of most is the uh, Hennish Gula character in Dead Again. Yeah. <laughs> so like this very stern and severe Teutonic housemaid. 
Uh, so there's that. Uh, and then Kristen Stewart, who I think is a really talented performer who people beat up on unfairly because of the Twilight movies, I'm going to recommend The Runaways, which is a biopic of the seminal uh, jailbait girl rock band from the 70s. Uh, there is a time at the end of glam rock and when 70s free love sexuality was at its height that, and you know, we may be entering a period like that now with Miley Cyrus and shit like that, but Miley Cyrus is a 23-year-old girl. When She's you could, like 20 or 21. Well, Girls in the Runaways were 15 and 16 and getting up on stage and talking about being your cherry bomb and dressing in negligees and all sorts of stuff and were a huge phenomenon for a very brief period in the late 70s and also gave the world Joan Jett, which is wonderful, and that is who Kristen Stewart plays. She plays Joan Jett. And if you don't believe Kristen Stewart can act, you should watch that before you make your final opinion. And then watch Panic Room. <laughs> Where she's like, what, seven? Like 12, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, yes. So those are my recommendations. Gods and Monsters and The Runaways. And, <laughs> yep. Hello, Dad. Hello, Mom. No, see, you always people always put an extra ch in there. It's ch-ch-ch-ch-cherry bomb. Damn yeah. it. All right, all right, all right. You got me again, Lucas. <laughs> But I do. And and yours, Shadow of a Doubt. You should watch Shadow of a Doubt before you watch any other movie if you've never seen it. Literally, there's no movie that you could spend uh, two hours watching that you uh, should watch before you watch Shadow of a Doubt. It's that good. It is. It's strange. It's funny. It's creepy. It's Hitchcock. Yep. And this is because you you have your brothers and you got, you're thinking about spooky movies to show your brothers for Christmas, right? No. Well, the, I'm not going to show them this one. No. But it was, yeah, no, I just, it... <laughs> I, just, I really liked it. So, so uh, our schedule, like I said, is going to be a little bit er erratic over the next few weeks. Yep. You're going to Ireland. Yep. You got to bring us back some booze stories. I, I'll try. Okay. So as always, for Kate, I'm Josh. For Josh, I'm Kate. I love spending time with you, Kate. Oh. I love spending time with the listeners, etc. Mm. Uh, so thank yeah. you for doing it. Thank you for spending time with us. Merry Christmas, listeners. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. And and literally any holiday you celebrate. If there is booze, we will celebrate it with you. Exactly. So thank you for listening. You make it all worthwhile. Yep. All right. Bye.